Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Daryl Missy. Uh, we are here for the We Are CD podcast. May uh, is Foster Care Month. And so we have a special episode uh, today in which uh, we're doing a follow-up after I got the opportunity to visit the, the Call to Foster podcast, which was really great. And so the, the hosts of the Call to Foster, Foster podcast are, are Shasta Miller and Jessica, Jessica Huckstep. They're both here visiting with us. We've got Lauren Masterson here, also being she is our foster care guru, uh, to talk with us about, about foster care. And so uh, we're going to talk about the need. Uh, we're going to talk about how we can support our foster parents. We're going to we're just going to have an open conversation about how how things are and how things ought to be. So you were uh, we just had a we just had a podcast. We just uh, did one with uh, just an outstanding foster parent uh, who has a wonderful story. Uh, what what are your thoughts about that podcast we just we just did? Shasta? What yeah, you thank you, Daryl. Um, that was an amazing foster parent. Um, I just to, to plug this in, uh, the purpose of the the call to foster podcast that we started was we need more foster families. And we had a vision that if we our best networkers, our best recruiters are our foster families. Um, the last one that Daryl's referring to, she is an amazing role model um, on how to be a foster parent the passion to have a, to be a foster parent. Um, it was, it was great. She was great. We need more of her, um, around the state of Missouri. Um, so yeah. So Lauren, you were here for that interview, I right? Was. So what, what was your, what was your impression of that? This, this, uh, sort of ideal foster parent that we have, that's an ambassador and all the other things that we have. What, what are your thoughts about her and, yeah. and our conversation? Yeah, well, I think you said it best, Daryl, that we need to clone Rebecca mm -hmm. <laughs> and we need probably about a thousand more of her across the state. Um, she truly is living the mission. Um, she embodies the values and everything that we hope our foster families bring to the table um, in fostering families and not just children. So I was uh, super honored and felt really blessed to be a part of that conversation and hear about the great work that she's doing, not just in her fostering journey, but also in her journey as an ambassador. Mm -hmm. That's very cool. And you know, the, 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 uh, I think it's cool that you guys are doing a podcast. It is, yeah. by the way, on Spotify. Maybe we will be on Spotify too. I think that this might be on Spotify. That'd be awesome. And so you are on uh, Spotify. I, I am on we're on Spotify. <laughs> I, I have arrived. Yes. We have arrived. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. Life was, we got okay. on Spotify. So, so uh, Shasta and Jessica, why don't you tell us about your about how you got to do how yeah. you uh, began doing this podcast and what your thoughts were when you began to do it? Yeah. So um, Lauren is sitting with us today. Uh, Lauren had actually been given a promotion and started um, her journey as the unit manager for the state, um, working with foster care. Um, and I stepped into her role in the region where I'm from. And obviously with technology and <clears throat> the ways of the world, um, I was just thinking, how can we use um, social media to our benefit to recruit more foster families? And I actually, in, my, in a different program, started working with communications and I just started talking to them about um, is this a possibility? Can we do this? And then we just started getting our schedules together. I pulled in Jessica Huckstep, who is a supervisor of 
a resource foster care licensing unit in the Southeast region um, and said, let's do this. Let's let's interview these foster families. They're going to be our best recruiters. And it just took off. And I've learned so much from this. And I hope that we continue to do this for as long as we can. Um, and I really hope we see that number um, increase for our foster families. Well, Shafter, when you said that you 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 pulled in Jessica, you're talking to her beforehand. It appears that that is literally what you did. It yes, appears literally you did. And grabbed yes. her and said, you're coming with me right. because I told you so. And, and I'm a field support manager. You'll do what I say. And you dragged her in. That's exactly and made what her, happened. Is, is that how it happened, Jessica? Yes, completely. No, uh, not so much. I mean, I was excited about it too. We've been talking about it for a while because everybody, every worker that's in a resource unit struggles with recruitment across the state I I can say I can assume um you know just the different ways you know everybody does the normal like in-person things but we wanted to reach a bigger area um since my unit is regional over the southeast area so um I was really excited about it and we just jumped on it like Shasta said and actually when I was calling these families saying hey would you like to do this every single one just we're amazed that we are asking them to talk about their experience. Like, so they had a voice. Mm -hmm. That's the main thing that they wanted to have was have a voice. And so they can make an impact on others that might be interested in fostering. So that was my biggest takeaway. Every time I call one, really? Are you, are you sure? Really? Yeah. Yes. We want you. We know that you would be great and we want you to share your experience. That's terrific because I think you know that those shared experiences and story uh, really motivates and, and drives people, uh, and and understanding what the need is. Now, Lauren, this is, you know, I, I I just I don't know what everybody's titles are around here, so I just call you the foster care guru. So you're the guru. So what 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 what's the need? What's the numbers? How does it look? Yeah. So on average, if you look at our foster um, care population for licensed foster homes, we usually have about 5,000. And half of those families, or roughly half, are typically our relative foster care providers. Um, so that really just leaves 25 to 2,600 traditional foster homes to meet the needs of our foster uh, child population. Um, which is just really not enough. We know it's not enough. Um, the, the number of the number of children in foster care. My last my last counting. Uh, we aren't recording this in May, by the way, in full disclosure. But at the time that we're doing this, there were thirteen thousand two hundred and two foster kids. Now, how many how many foster homes do we need, and what what needs to happen here? Yeah. Any of you? Well, I, for me, I think my goal has been if we could just get to 6,000. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and that includes relative and foster homes. If we could just breach the 6,000 threshold, mm -hmm. I really think that that would make a world of a difference. And mm -hmm. honestly, when I heard of the call to foster podcast, I thought, what a brilliant way to adapt and reach this wider audience and to really empower our current foster families to share their knowledge and their experiences to those who are that are really excited and want to foster but maybe have some reservations because they haven't had somebody to talk to or to ask questions of. And we know um, that our traditional ways of recruitment in person are still valuable and still very much needed and appreciated 
Uh, but we are living in different times than we did five to 10 years ago. And this is just one way to get that message out to the masses. And, and quickly, too. Quickly. I mean, yeah. once it's recorded and posted, it can go it can go anywhere, anywhere. all over. And right. I I think what Lauren said about um, something that Jessica and I learned through through talking to these families for the, the Call the Foster podcast is a, many of Many, many of our traditional foster families start out as relative foster families and they realize, ah, I really like this. And then they continue and they move into that traditional setting. And I think relatives is maybe an untapped, uh, maybe not untapped, but it's definitely, I think, um, a, a conversation starter for, hey, you you're such a, a great relative foster parent. Do you want to look into being a traditional foster parent? I think it's a good avenue um, to maybe increase our traditional foster homes. Yeah, and support to traditional foster homes right. like respite and emergency yeah. foster care. Yeah, definitely. So Missouri, uh, it, we do a good job with something, and that is the relative placements. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we we mm-hmm. we. Uh, it is not every state that can get up to fifty percent. Uh, which is where we are. The KC the, the family programs say that really we ought to be able to do 75, but there's not a state that I know of that does it. And, you know, you hear about them saying, oh, we're, we've gotten up to 25, we've gotten up to 30%. Well, in Missouri, we're at, we're at half. You know, so so how does that happen? How does how it that those people become foster parents themselves rather than just being grandma? How does that occur? We license them, right? Yeah, we do. And actually, Missouri has a pretty broad definition of relative. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it doesn't just include your grandparents or your aunts and uncles or nieces and nephews, cousins. It also includes anyone who has a significant relationship to the child and or the child's family, which I think is incredibly important and helps us reach that goal. I think one of the things I've noticed over the last year, especially uh, with our um, needs for more foster homes, is we are really relying heavily on that definition, which includes those kinship families, that those individuals who have a relationship with the child and the child's family. We're seeing that for children who have a lot of medical needs, um, that they have established relationships with their medical providers, with their caregivers, And they are stepping up to make the commitment to children who desperately need placement um, or someone, a caregiver, who can not be afraid and not shy away from their medical needs. So when we talk about what the the, the numbers of people that we need, uh, you know, I mean, I I just I just got to tell you, this is comes from my experience, I guess, of sitting on the bench and having to order where kids go, uh, not having not having options and not having openings, uh, it's, it's, it's remarkably frustrating and I know it's remarkably troublesome for the kids and their families. And I think, you know, we've got 13,000 kids in foster care and, and 5,000 homes in which to put them. Uh, I think those numbers need to be flipped. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think in an ideal right. world, Definitely. you know, in an ideal world, we would have 5,000 kids in foster care, which would put us, you know, 2,000 under the national average rather than 7,000 over the national average. Uh, and that would mean we're a functioning, well-formulated well agency. Uh, and at the same time, we would have 13,000 foster homes. Now, why would you need all those foster homes for, uh, you know, for fewer kids than the homes? And it's because you need an empty space. Yeah. 
you need a place to put them because I was I was in Jefferson County and I was uh, I, I was ordering children into foster care, and uh, I had a dad one time at a review hearing stay up and say, Judge, you've got to get my child out of foster care, and I was explaining to him, Well, sir, you know you're doing some work, but you've still got this issue and that issue, and you're just not ready. He understood. He said, Judge, I understand. I am not ready to have my child home yet, but that but my child needs taken out of that foster home because that foster home is 50 miles away. Yeah. And I'm like, well, how did that happen? I said, I'm sure everything's fine. I thought the neighborhood was fine, but I'm like, how is, how is this child being placed, for, you know, a, a child from the Southern part of my County being placed in the Northern part of the next County? How did that happen? And they said, well, we have no foster homes here. So I, I went up to the children's division, which is now us, but I went up there and I asked our circuit manager, I said, how many, we got, okay, we've got, we've got 700 kids in care, uh, which was too many, but we had 700 kids in care, half of them with relatives, so we need foster homes for 350 kids. How many foster homes do we have for our 350 kids? And they said we had 47. Wow. And they were full. Yeah. And so I began to ask at court, uh, well, one thing I did was I went around and recruited. I went around uh, to, to, to community groups and to churches, and I went on a, I went on a mission to recruit. And we recruited what? you know, some foster homes, mm -hmm. but we could not possibly keep up with the number that we had. And that it occurred to me, you know, we've, we've, we've got to do something different. So we, we would, whenever somebody would suggest to me, your honor, we are, we are recommending foster care. I would always ask foster care where, mm -hmm. and they'd look at me funny, like, what do you mean foster care where? I mean, I mean, is it in the same school district? If not, is it, is it, is it in the same county? Is it in the same zip code? Is it anywhere? Is it anywhere close to where this child's going to be able to see his or her friends, uh, family, uh, community groups? Because when we send them out of town, in addition to having lost all the other stuff that they lost, they now lose their, their neighborhood and their community and their teacher and their school and all their best friends. And yeah. it was intolerable to me. So I would, I would, I would say foster care where? And they're like, well, what, what difference does it make? I said, I'll tell you why. Because sketchy aunt is here uh, who you don't want to consider mm -hmm. uh, because sketchy aunt, you know, might have done some recreational substances on the river back in 1987. <laughs> uh, and that results in you saying you can't license, you can't license aunt sketchy. Right. And so I'm, but I'm telling you, I'm considering aunt sketchy you know, yeah. because because I don't want this child to lose everything and everybody, right? Yeah. So if, if we have if we have some if we have open spaces, yeah. then we have more options, right? Yeah. Right. I Definitely. think I think that's a really good long term goal for the agency is right. flipping that number. I'm thinking, and I know this is Jessica's thinking this too. Can you imagine the field calling out for placement and there being availability? Right. We right. have homes to choose from right. where we can make good decisions where we can actually share a foster family profile and, and say yes and say what family Amazing. is the best match to meet the needs of that particular child it's, right. it's a beautiful vision not just for a bed yeah but i i do appreciate your thoughts and ideas about relatives because mm -hmm. it's it in missouri um and you know i think this is probably not just in missouri but in many other states, um, there is a national expectation that relatives um, or anybody who is going to be licensed as a foster home meet the same foster home licensing standards. Now, the federal government gave us some non-safety waivers for relatives, but they're limited in what we can approve, um, and they're approved on a case-by-case -case basis. Yeah. But I don't know um, if everybody is aware 
But there is a national movement right now to allow for a two-tiered licensing system, which would let states choose whether or not they want to adapt or adopt totally different licensing standards for relatives. And just having worked for Children's Division for the last 15 years, primarily with relatives, I really think that this might be an opportunity Mm -hmm. for us to change the perspective on the support and the resources we provide to relatives and what licensing and the licensing process looks like for them. So there are some really interesting things happening at the national level that I think fit right into that vision. I love that. I saw an email about that today. Yeah. Uh, where they're talking about, you know, looking at the regulations and, and having a, that, that second tier and maybe even not calling it licensure, but approval. Yeah. Uh, and that approval would allow for them to be able to get the resources they need. And by the way, to to give an assurance to the courts that we're not rejecting these people that we could not license for some technical reason or mm-hmm. other. And uh, and some judges are more than willing to say, you know what? this is right and I'm going to do it, even though that, that house is crowded, it's what makes sense for this this child. Uh, some are saying, well, I don't wanna be the person who places a child in an unlicensed home and has something go wrong. Yeah. And yeah. so and so I think that change would be would be amazing. And I think I think back to my own childhood, you know, I, I tell my story about my mom and you know, the 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 foster parent that we we interviewed before, she was somebody who was in and out of foster care herself because mm-hmm. of her mom's mental illness and addiction. Well, my mom had a pretty severe mental illness. Well, if it hadn't been for my dad, mm-hmm. uh, and by the way, my, my grandma coming over, uh, right. we would have wound up in, in, in an alternative care situation. And then if, if you were looking at that in my family, would you have licensed my grandparents? I'm telling you with great assurance, you would not have licensed my grandparents, mm-hmm. who were wonderful people. But my grandmother lived over the hill from us in a mobile home that had two bedrooms, one was for her and uh, my, my grandma and grandpa, and the other one held my uncle John. Now, are you all letting? Are you all licensing that house for me and my two sisters? The answer is no. There's not enough space, right? You could come up with some some safety thing, you know. I guess what? Where would where would Uncle John be? Where'd my two sisters be? I mean, at least back in my day in Jefferson County, somebody would have been hesitant to make that recommendation, right? Yeah, yeah and I, I think we still see that in pockets. I mm-hmm. I think in my heart, I hope. Um, that in all relative situations, when we have a viable relative um, who is a safe option for a child or a sibling group, that we are doing a full assessment, right? right. And and I do want to be very clear, even with this national trend to move towards a two-tiered licensing system, we're not talking about placing children in unsafe homes, right? We're really talking about the difference between a licensed home and an unlicensed home. There are lots of very safe unlicensed homes that for some reason or another chose not to be licensed or are unable to be licensed for space issues that have not been approved on a case-by-case basis for a non-safety waiver. And maybe for good reason, but that might still be a very safe placement. And so I just think this is going to take some of the worry you talked about right. out of out of that equation, because you're you're going to be able to look, hopefully, at least in, I'm hoping, you're going to be able to look at relative approvals or licensures in a very different way. Well, and I think we as an agency, I think uh, all of us have to be willing to make those recommendations yeah. that we know 
may not be licensed, may not be able to be licensed, but we're making the recommendation because we think it's what's best for this child. Mm -hmm. and, and that, of course, gives, I think, some reassurance to the legal system that has to enter an order of some kind. Uh, rather than us just saying, oh, we can't license them, so, so don't place them there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I talked about my one set of grandparents. My other set of grandparents you would, would, would have not have licensed either because mm -hmm. uh, they, <laughs> they, had, they had similar space problems, and they were down in Potosi, and they were still heating their house with wood at the time, and I'm not sure whether they had gotten the indoor plumbing yet or not. They mm -hmm. eventually did, but, I mean, it was, it, was not, it was not ideal, but it would have been, it would have been what we needed. Yeah. And I can tell you as a 7-year-old, uh, if you would not have placed me with one of my grandparents, I was just rebellious enough and precocious enough that I would have voted with my feet and been one of those missing children that we talk about. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. I would have been drive, I would have been walking down Highway 21 toward Potosi, uh, and I, I think we've got to keep that in mind as where the kids' hearts and minds are. Right. Yeah. yeah. I will say um, on a positive note, where Lauren's talking about. Um, our waivers as a state that we can accommodate when we have some of these licensing things, um, issues, whatever you want to call them. Um, I feel like just in my own experience, we really do look at those and we really do do a full assessment and we really try really hard to make sure that that child is in the best place, which typically is a relative. And if there's flexibility within that, I really think as an agency, we're, we're really trying to work around those standards. And that's why we have the waivers. Um, so, I mean, and that's just my experience. Um, well, and the kids, I mean, that's their family yeah. forever. And they're always going to want to be connected yeah. and want to be around them no matter where they're at, no matter, in my personal opinion, even if they're adopted, they're always going to want those connections. Yeah. So if we can do something that's little to waive something or what have you to keep them with family, then it's that's the best option. Mm -hmm. Well, we've made great progress on that, haven't we? I mean, yes. It has yeah. not always been this way. Right. Uh, and the fact that it is, now, I mean, I always, you know, when I was a young lawyer listening to this, the judge was like, well, I'm not doing that because the nut doesn't fall far from the tree. And I'm like, you should see some of my family members. What are you talking about? You know, and, and uh, I'd be interested to see some of yours, Judge. I mean, we've all got, we've all got our situations, our family, our family uh, idiosyncrasies. We do. But I think, I think a great movement has happened. Uh, away from that way of thinking, and that's why Missouri's made such progress as compared to some other states. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, I think it's very promising, and I think it's to the credit of all all the folks like you guys who work on this, and and make it happen for these kids. I think it's really wonderful. Yeah, thank you. So, being May, Foster Parent Appreciation Month, um, I think it's we should that should be every month, right? It doesn't just have to be May. Um, but I think it is an important month to really focus on our foster families and focus on our <clears throat> foster parents um, to show them that we appreciate them. And I think the one thing that Jessica Nice podcast, The Call the Foster, does is showcases that. And we have a lot of great foster families out there throughout the whole state of Missouri um, that we um, should be tapping into and we should be talking and we should be hearing them. And we and some of the things that they have shared with us has just been so enlightening and and it just re-energizes me. Um, I hope the podcast that Daryl and Lauren that you listened to re-energized you. Um, we've got to be talking to our families. We've got to be promoting them and appreciating them. And hopefully they're spreading the good word and they want to tell their friends and their family and their church members that 
they want to serve and they and that we increase we increase and because that's what we need so you guys have talked to a lot of foster parents and i imagine that's been an educational experience yes yes so what have what have you learned about what we can do for them to make as an agency as as people who do this work what can we do for them to make this better easier more doable for them what do you what what do you think jessica one of the main things throughout is improving communication yep. improving communication um whether it's text messages phone calls whatever emails in person get back with them um that's the simplest thing we can do yep. is to have better communication yes you can have boundaries as a worker you know don't contact me after this time but if it's an emergency you have to be available you know and um it's just communication i hear it across the board from almost every foster parent yep. communication and just getting back with them in a timely manner whether it's they need to turn in forms or whether they need respite I mean I, I hear that a lot that their workers not getting back with them um, and they need respite and whatever's coming up just that communication piece that connection piece with our homes yeah I think something else that we've learned is uh as an agency, building a community around our foster families and connecting them to each other. Yes. That is going to be some of the best support that they have. And I think the podcast we we just did um, was a good exam example of that, where she truly is a mentor. She's an ambassador. She yes. is it is truly an advocate for other foster families. And we need more of those. And so I think if we, as an agency, can wrap our arms in the entire system, not just children's division, right? Like the courts, the juvenile office, guardian ad items, the whole entire system, if we can wrap our arms around our foster parents, then just maybe they'll be, we'll increase, we'll be able to really take care of our kids the way we should be taking care of them. Chessa, you mentioned the Foster Care Ambassador Program, uh, which we are excited about and seeing great and promising things coming out of. We currently statewide have about 44 ambassadors and it is really truly a peer-to-peer -peer mentor and support program. We have about 12 of the 44 ambassadors that are providing mentoring to foster families across the state who just are frustrated or having trouble with communication. And so I think my challenge to anybody listening to this podcast is to know your ambassador. Yeah. Who is your ambassador for your area? When you're struggling, when you're frustrated and you need help with mediation or communication, contact your ambassador, connect your foster family to their ambassador. And if you don't have an ambassador, identify an ambassador for your area and connect them with Melissa Seltzer so that we can get them invited to our meetings um, and part of the group because they are really doing some fantastic work. And Lauren, that's a takeaway for me um, because we just met this foster parent who is an ambassador in my area and honestly, I probably should have known that six months ago. So for me, my takeaway is I need, as a, as a manager within the children's division, I need to know who our ambassadors are. And maybe not just for the region I work in, but statewide. Yeah. Another thing to keep in mind is we do have family resource centers across the state. We have Foster Adopt Connect, 
the Central Missouri Foster Care Adoption Association and the Foster Adopt Care Coalition. Most areas have mentors available through the Family Resource Center, and those mentors are powerful. Mm -hmm. So if you have a Family Resource Center that offers mentors in your area, but you don't have an ambassador yet, be sure to also know who those mentors are and be able to refer your families over because they can help communicate, mediate, provide uh, appeal information, grievance information, and they just really truly are a wonderful support to have when you're just having some challenges around communication, which happens with all adults, right? Oh, yeah. Like this, yeah. this is point. not just this is not just for our foster yeah. families and our case managers or our court partners or yeah. our um, yeah. stakeholders. All adults have challenging conversations, and these are the people who are trained and educated on those processes and can help kind of guide the conversation. And usually, they're able to help lead to some type of resolution. And it just really, I've been a part of that process several times and I have always found it to be very helpful. And and I encourage you to get to know who your mentors and your ambassadors are. Well, and you talked about support. And I think for our foster families, we should should be encouraged to do the same kind of things we do with our our biological families when we're trying to hold them together. And that Mm -hmm. is, and that is, Find those supports that are natural to that family and bring them around them. You know their their community, their 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 church community. I mean, um, we we talk about Care Portal is out there. We mm-hmm. we've got uh, there are some churches that I've been to where they've got an entire they've got an entire ministry completely mm-hmm. dedicated to supporting the foster parents in their congregation, mm-hmm. and that's a powerful thing. Uh, there 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 are others that are completely dedicated to supporting biological parents as they're trying to walk through this. There are some that are willing to do both. I'm talking to all these people, but yeah. I'm hopeful that, you know, if you look at a foster parent and they're, they're struggling saying, who are your people? You know, who, what, what are your resources? What is your community? And how can we help bring them around you mm-hmm. to help you do this really difficult, but beautiful thing. And I think, uh, I, I think we do that. We, 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 we put a lot of the, we, 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 we put a lot of the the work into the hands of people whose hearts are in it and want to help. Mm-hmm. Yep. So do you all have any other thoughts for us for the We Are CD podcast? Thank you for coming to the We Are Thanks CD podcast. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Well, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just glad we've shared a podcast now. I mean, it makes, yes. what are we like? We're bonded for, forever. For, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. right. We've got, we've had podcast, we have had podcast bonding. You know, it's like, I've been to your house, you've been to my house. Yeah, now we're really friends, right. right? That's the way. And we're is. all going to be on Spotify. We're all going to be on there Spotify. <laughs> we've been, we've been, you know, my podcast is your podcast. That's there just really great. There so, we're... all right. Uh, well, thank you for coming. Thank you for being part of this, guys. Uh, by the way, thank you for all the work you do uh, for our for our foster parents and for our kids and our families. And, uh, and thank you for taking the time today. It's been a great conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Adios. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Listen to more episodes of this podcast or our newest podcast, The Call to Foster, wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to help us reach and inspire more Missourians. Thanks for listening.